But Midbar, really, according to uh, many of the commentators, the, the uh, Bali Musar, but, but Midbar offers us a wonderful lesson about life, an incredibly important lesson about life, uh, a lesson that, to some degree, maybe we've been here at Valley Torah maybe a little bit lax in this year. Um, maybe it takes sort of two to tango, so maybe it's a combination of our laxity and uh, you're maybe taking advantage. But at the end of the day, the message is undeniably clear. The message that the Torah prescribes for us and describes for us in Ban Midbar is a message that we cannot lose. We cannot lose sight of it, we cannot lose focus of because I say this could be the most critical lesson you need to learn in life. Because when you have this lesson, when you have this message indelibly imprinted and you live your life this way, you're guaranteed success. You're guaranteed to be able to fulfill what you need to fulfill. There's a famous story about a, a Tamil Chacham who wanted to check out what, how his son was doing in yeshiva. And he went to the yeshiva, and of course his son was in the base medrash, it was a middle of Seder, so uh, he didn't want to disturb him, so he just decided, he says, can you just please show me his dormitory room? I'd like to see his, uh, his room where he sleeps. And he went into his room, and he saw his room, and he saw an impeccably made bed, he saw his drawers, he saw the clothing neatly folded, he saw a room that was, that was kept properly, and what he saw, bottom line, and the, word, the key word that I want to just share with you and what the Chazal talk about, he saw Seder. He saw order. He saw a structure in this young man's life. At that point, he didn't have to go speak to any other rabbi. He didn't have to check out what, how his son was doing. He, know, he knew his son was doing well. He said, I can go back now. Maybe I'll have lunch with my son, but I can go back now. Because at the end of the day, I know he's doing well. It's a very interesting question which they ask about, about Parshas Bamidwa. The, the Torah spends so much time talking about the formations, talking about structure, talking about how everybody moved, how everybody did what they did. Who was on the north, and who was on the south, and who was on the east, and who was on the west. Why is that so important? What do I need to know? What do I need to know? What flags have to go up at certain times and how the chauffeur is blown? Why is this so necessary? Every word in the Torah is so calculated. And here all of a sudden, so many psukim are spent on this concept of how they marched in the desert. How Christ so moved in the desert. And that's what they say, Rabbi say. They say that because if you want to be successful in life, if you want to have an understanding of how it is that you can move ahead, Seder, Order, structure. When you live a haphazard life, well, you're deciding that morning whether you're attending the seven, the eight, the nine, the ten, or maybe the minion at the refrigerator wall, okay, near, near the, in the kitchen. That's not a life. If you're living a life where you sort of react to the external situation as opposed to having in your mind what I have to do and where I have to go and what's my day, what do I need to do? What's important for me? Map it out in, front, in your mind beforehand. I say this every single year as Bamidbar always falls out before these summer months. And everybody say it is so critical. And I know that we can all make the joke and play the games and talk about the fact that we have about a 10-week vacation. And this is true for the seniors as well, even though they're moving on and, and facing their new excitement and new, their new challenges in life. For all of us, this applies. 
You look at a 10-week vacation, if you see that as basically a chance to sort of meld into a black hole of sort of nothingness, to sort of do nothing, see nothing, talk to nothing, just exist. Yeah, and of course, we have our phones, we have our gadgets, we have our technology. Oh my gosh, there is... What's it called? The, what's the big box there? The Xbox is called? What a, what's the big thing now? Right? Xbox, 20 hours a day. I'll just sleep a little bit, go back to my Xbox. I'll play people in Europe and Afghanistan and, uh, and then uh, Antarctica and who knows, you know. And I'll be competing with the whole world. It'll be great. Okay? No order, no structure. It's okay, just exist. Ah, sounds great. And, they, and you know, the world... Uh, glorifies that. The world loves this idea, oh my God, take a vacation, I lie in the beach, in the sandy beaches of the Bahamas or in Cancun, and there I am just sort of doing nothing. You know, that might work for a couple hours for a, a focused individual. And maybe, obviously, for a Torah Jew, you, can, you, you should take a vacation. The Godolan went to Switzerland, and they relaxed there in the mountains. Obviously, while davening and learning every day, without question, we need vacations. Which is why these 10 weeks are wonderful, Rabbi Say. But if you don't have a structure to those 10 weeks, if you don't have a plan of what you're doing when you get, when you get up in the morning, knowing when you're going to get up in the morning, which minion you're davening at? Where's my shir going to be? Where's my, my harusa learning going to be? Where's my Torah going to fit into my schedule? What am I doing today? What's my plan? If you don't have that, it might be fun for the first week. Can we turn around, please? Put it away. Might be fun for the first week. But you can't exist that way. What will happen slowly but surely, unfortunately, is that we, we sort of slowly fall into a pit. And that traps us. And we end up getting lower and lower and lower. So it is, it is vital. Rabbi said, it is vital. When we look at the lives of special people, and the truth of the matter is, while the Gedolim give us the, the ultimate concept of Seder, a God will be Israel, when you look at the, the lives of these great rabbis and rabbitons of their lives, they were so structured, they were so focused. You can, you can literally, you can set your time to, to Gedolim in terms of knowing where they're going to be, what table they're sitting at, who they're learning with, and they, sometimes four hours they wouldn't move. They would, they would sit there learning, my Seder is from 10 to 2, 10 to 2, that's it. This is holy time. I can't move. I can't, can't budge. I have a time for this and I have a time for that, but everything is structured because I know exactly where, where I have to go. And while it's certainly true for Gedolim, and it's certainly true for people who have achieved great things, but Lahavdal, it's true for the, in the secular world. There are no people who achieve greatness, Rabbi Isai, without a, a focus of where I'm going, what my day is, long term and short term. You set your sights. It's part of the whole concept of, of leadership. Okay, if you want to be, accomplish something, you want to be somebody in, in, in charge of yourself. You want to be in control of your life. You don't want your life to dictate. You don't want sort of the times and the, and, and the issues that come up every, every single day to sort of set you moving in every different direction. Then you're scattered. You have no clarity of thought. You have no ability to see straight to understand what your obligations are. Our job, Rabbi, Rabbi say, is to be is to have Seder. Our job is to have order. And that's why the, the Torah spends so much time with this concept, because it is absolutely the key to success in life. So please, I cannot stress it enough, as you approach the summer months, as you approach the, the, 
the incredibly wonderful opportunity you have to sort of disconnect a little bit. But Rabbi Sai, educators, your Rabbi will tell you this, people from all walks of life will tell you. You can really see in September and how a person starts his, his year, how, what they did in the summer. Because if they were in a structured situation, if they accomplished, if they, whether it be they had a job or they had school, or whatever they did, they can volunteer, there are many things you can do. Many, many myriad options you have of keeping your summer focused and, 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 and positive. But the ones who just sat there and, and had the, the computer mouse in one hand and the remote control in the other and the, uh, the iPhone, what? Yeah, whatever. Well, yeah, then the, the, the sort of now you have these things that the iPhone is on. So you can probably handle, I don't know, like six, seven different gadgets at one time if you, if you properly uh, coordinated. Uh, if that's what it is, everybody said, we'll see it in September. And wherever you go, you'll, you'll see it in September. You'll see it when you want to get rolling. It'll, it, the, the engine's going to be much harder to get going. I joke with my seniors about getting the electrical currents flowing in the brain. Okay, well you, want, you want those currents flowing all, all summer long. You don't want those currents dead for 10 weeks and then you have to start recharging the batteries. So please, Rabbi, say this is a, this is a critical issue. Just want to share one more uh, separate thought with you just in terms of Parshas Bamidbar. Because Bamidbar is always a Parsha that comes before before Shavuos. And I guess, you know, everything is a valid question. Why? What's, what, what's the connection? There needs to be a connection. We know there are no coincidences. If things work out a certain way, there's a message in that, in the way it works out. So why is Parshas Bamidbar always before Kabbalah Satora? And Rabbi said, it is very interesting. We spoke about the importance of learning Torah vis-a-vis the, the issue of what it does for us. We spoke last week about how Torah is so critical because it's our lifeblood to success, it's our oxygen. And we spoke about the seven-step digression and the process of what happens. If you learn Torah, everything kicks in for you. If you don't learn Torah, it starts un- unraveling. But there's another, there are a few conditions to Torah. Torah is not an unconditional remedy. Okay, certain medicines have to be done a certain way. You ever notice certain prescriptions? You know, you have to have it after a meal. Or you have to have it with no food, or with food, or in the morning, or at night, or with water, or without water. There are rules and regulations to, to certain prescriptions. The Torah also has its rules and regulations. Not everybody who spends a lot of time learning Torah is able to be transformed into that person we'd like to be. Torah does not have an unconditional impact upon a person. It has some stipulations. It has some conditions. And one of those conditions, Rabbi Isai, is humility. One of the conditions about Torah, Torah does not automatically do what it's supposed to do. If you're walking around and you're learning Torah, and I'm not saying don't learn if that's how you feel, because the Gemara does say, you start off learning for the wrong reasons, you'll end up learning for the right reasons. But at the end of the day, you need to know what the right reason is, and the right attitude is. And Torah does not work in a person who ultimately is saying, well, I'm God's gift to the world. And I want everyone to recognize my Torah knowledge. And I want everybody to give me covet and honor. And, oh, you want, you want to know what I said? You want to know what I shared? No, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to share my Torah with you. It's my Torah. I worked for it. I don't want to share it with you. You want me to teach you something that you might have difficulty with and I know? No, I'm not interested in doing that. I'm too busy to do that. Work on it yourself. I'm not interested in sharing my Torah with you. The word Bamidbar Rabbi has a very important connotation. 
The word Bamidbar is a connotation of humility. We spoke about this last night at Mishmar. Midbar is a word that has emptiness. What's a midbar? What's a desert? Go to a desert. There's, there's nothing in the desert. People walk over a desert. It's open for everyone to sort of, okay, just move. Right? No toe boots in deserts. There's no, there's camels, there's Bedouins, there's, uh, there, there, there's a little, there's some uh, cactus, whatever. What's a desert? No desert has borders, no de desert. It's a desert. Who's interested? And Rabbi say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's telling you something. He's telling us something. He's telling us if you want Torah to ha have the impact it has upon you, you need to approach it from, with a sense of humility. Midos, Rabbi saying can't talk about it every week because there's so many things to talk about. But character traits, humility, the virtues of who you are as a person, Rabbi say that dictates this, uh, how far Torah is going to impact you. That's going to make the difference whether you're, you go this far or this far. Because if you're not imbibing the value system of the Torah, of being a midbar, of being humble, of being a person who's self-effacing and who's there for everybody else, be a midbar. You want Torah? If I know something, I'm not going to share it with you. I'm not going to sit down and learn it with you. I mean, Prada was a teacher of, of, of a young boy. He was a teacher of a, of a young man who had true learning challenges. The Gemara says, I mean, Prada learned with this particular young man every single day. He was an incredible giant, I mean, He was a tremendous Tamukhachim. And he spent the time every day to learn with this student 400 times. He learned something with him. He talk about ADD and ADHD and who knows other types of... This kid had it. He would not learn something and he would not internalize it until he learned it 400 times. I don't think that's an exaggeration. You might argue it is, but I don't think it's an exaggeration. It doesn't seem from the Gemara that it's an exaggeration. And one day he's, he's learning with this Talmud and he's, he's going over everything and he's, he's doing what he normally does. Takes 400 times, but 400 times the kid was good to go. What, a, what patience you need just, for, oh, just stop and think. Five times is, is challenging. Ten times is like almost unimaginable. 400 times. And one day he's in the middle of teaching this kid and, the, and somebody walks in and whispers something into or prays his ear that as soon as you finish, you know, I need you, there's something going on, please, please come by. He says, okay, he waves to me, he says, yeah, I got it, and goes back to teaching the kid. 10 second, 20 second interruption. And the kid is, afraid is finishing his job, he obviously keeps count, 400 times, okay, we got it, can you repeat it now? Can we, we got the toasters, let's, let's, let's uh, can we call it a day? No. What do you, I don't, I don't, I don't get it, I don't understand it. What, what happened today? Normally 400 times is what you need. Is what, what, what happened today that you didn't get it today? He says, well, when that man walked in, I got distracted. And now I just didn't get it. He said, okay, not a problem. I'll teach it to you again 400 times. And the Gemara says he went over that Gemara or that Torah, whatever it was. It doesn't have to be Gemara or whatever it was. He went over it 400 times. Again. And then he got it. There are a lot of lessons in this Gemara just about concentration and the willingness to give over Torah. But the Gemara says something incredible after this little story. The Gemara says, A basko came out of Shemayim, Rabbi Isai. A heavenly voice came out and said, Rav Preda, you have a choice. You have a choice in life because of what you just did. <laughs> what did he just do? He's 
spent time learning with a kid. He went over Gemara 400 times and the kid's a little distracted. Okay, he's a big tzaddik, whatever. I mean, you're going to turn the world over? For because you learned with this kid another 400 times, you have a choice. Take your pick of Preda. You can either take the entire generation with you, Tolam Abba, or you can live 400 years. I will give you elongated days for, till 400 years. What's your pick? And Rav Prater said, I'll take everybody in this generation going into Olam Abba. And the Gemara says, the Basco says, okay, you got it, but you know what? I'll throw in the 400 years for good measure. He got a little bonus. So Rav Prater got both. Got both? <laughs> 400 years of life, taking an entire generation on your coattails, for what, how? What did he do? Did he save a million people? Did he, did he, did he, did he risk his life and he throws, did he throw himself in front of a grenade somehow and, and put his life in line? Uh, what, what did he do? Everybody say, it shows us something so profound about Torah. This Gemara is so amazing. Because it shows us, you want to you move the world? You want to make an impact in this world? If you can subjugate your, your character traits, there's no, no matter how great Rav Prater was, and he was beyond our, our ability to comprehend how great he was. But you got to imagine that by the 8, 727th time, or 750, or whatever it was, it might, might, there would have been some level of, come on, you know, it's, it, hello, let's, let's get going. Get a little impatient, a little, no. The, the complete subjugation of his ego, and his whatever, uh, just impatience that might, would get into anybody. The greatest side of it, at, at a certain point, come on. No, but he wouldn't do it. He kept it all under control and he learned with this kid with dedication and with love and with commitment. And when you do that, Rabbi Sai, when your Torah is shared with somebody, when you're teaching Torah, learning Torah, with that kind of a feel, that's Torah. And that's Torah that can shape the world. I mentioned, I mentioned the famous Reb Chaim Volajan. Reb Chaim says Torah doesn't, don't try to figure out Torah. We spoke about it last week, it's metaphysical and supernatural. But that's about what it does for us, what it, what it, what it does for the world, do we know? If, if, if Prater can drag the whole world with him on his coattails, Torah Mabba, what does that mean about Torah? And it wasn't, we're not talking about the sugi of Takfil Kowe and he's making major chadush, he's talking about obviously some level of simplicity with a kid who needs 400 times. Don't think he was, he was learning a Maisa Merkav of the, of the Haftarah of Shuas, of Yechesku. But you know what, that's not the point. The point is what you, how much of yourself you give to somebody else and th when you do it with Torah. Ruchai Velazhin says, I, I, I don't think I mentioned this, this year, but this incredible uh, vision of an example of the power of Torah. When this, I'll just say it very quickly, when the husband is going into the, in Berlin, he's going into the emergency room with his wife and you know, they're having a baby, they go to the delivery room and everybody's excited, the father's about to have his first child and everybody's all pumped up and he's ready to give out cigars. Jewish fellow, okay, they, I guess they spoke in those days, he's ready to celebrate and all of a sudden the doctor comes out and says there are complications. Your, your wife is having internal bleeding. I'm not sure if she's going to make it. I'm not sure if the baby's going to make it. And says Rav Chaim in his famous Sefer Nefesh Chaim. We heard this from Rav Brevda Zatzal when he was here, standing right there, and he said, I heard this shmooz from Eloli Apiyan, and I can tell you, he said, when I heard this shmooz from Eloli Apiyan, the, the great Baal Musser of, of two generations ago, he said, none of us were able to sleep that night. 
we were so impacted that we were not able to sleep that night. And we, we heard the words from the man who heard it from Rabbi Apiyan. And yes, it's different coming from me, but just try to put yourself in, in imagine that. And he quoted the words of Nefesh Yechayim while that husband is pacing back and forth, not knowing what to do as, as tears are being held back. What's, what's going on with my life? My life is about, I mean, here I was, I was about to be celebrating. Now my wife and my baby are fighting for their lives. And a few hundred miles away, there's a young man who had committed himself to learn Torah every night for 10 minutes, the previous Yom Kippur. And sure enough, he held, he held true, he held true, he held true, and every single night before he went to bed, 10 minutes of learning Torah, which would be an incredible, incredible commitment that we could make, 10 minutes before he went to sleep. If that was the, last, if that was the way we closed the day, instead of falling asleep staring at, uh, at who knows what. Wow, how amazing that would be. And this young man was, com- was, com- was committed to that, and he did it every single night, 10 minutes. And one night he's come back from a wedding and he's exhausted and he's tired and he, and he, just, he, he, just, he just plots his down, he puts his head down, he doesn't even, he, and all of a sudden as he's about to fall into his deep sleep, oh my gosh, my 10 minutes. Oh, but I'm so tired, I'm already, my eyes are closed, I'm already in my pillow and the blanket's all interwoven. I'm like one unit with the bed. I, 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 no, I, I, no, I, let me just, let me just, but uh, uh, 10 minutes, I committed, I made a commitment to Hashem, 10 minutes, Torah, and he's battling back and forth. Unaware, totally unaware that 500 miles away in Berlin, this husband is, is sitting there sweating bullets because he doesn't know what his wife and children are going to be doing and whether they're going to survive. And when, that, when that young man in some small little Dorfel in Baranovich or, or Kamenitz or Sabotka decides to, you know what, I'm going to push myself. I made a commitment. I'm opening up the light. I'm learning those 10 minutes. And he learned those 10 minutes. He pushed himself. He gave of himself. He, he, he made himself like a midbar. He wasn't talking about his own needs and his own wants, his own desires. It's tyrant. I'm here for somebody else. He didn't share it necessarily, but he gave of himself to commit to learning Torah. Says Reb Chaim Velazhin, don't ask me exactly how, but that power of Torah, we can't see it. We don't have the right vision to see the incredible spiritual sparks that come out of that young man in those 10 minutes while he's lying in bed reading his Mishnayis or his Musa Sefer or his art scroll. And it, he says the power of that learning just flies right over to Berlin. And it lands, as chus lands, we don't know where it lands, because Baruch who runs the show here, he, he has this whole vision of what's going on. He says that Jew in Sabatka does something incredible. That baby, that mother survived in Berlin. When the doctor comes out and he says, I don't know, it's amazing, you are one lucky man. As Baruch Hashem, we heard the doctor say, you guys, a lot of you got the text maybe or the email that the, the, the doctor came out and says, you won the lottery with, this, with, with the accent we prayed this for the young man in Emek. He says, you won the lottery today. That should be that many bones impacted and that kind of damage to the skull and that your child is is okay that's like one in ten million and the doctor came out and said i'm not sure how it happened but your wife's bleeding stopped she's fine and your baby boy is bar hashem very healthy and he'll never know he'll never know to the oluma ms that the reason why he had that boy and who knows how many other generations beyond that it's because of the schuss of that young man 500 miles away learning Torah at 2 o'clock in the morning. Totally, it seems like totally unrelated. 
We have any idea of the miracles that go on there? Just show what's chus, the Torah that's being learned there, has on all the other things that seem completely unrelated? It's, we can't, we are so small in our vision and our understanding, we can't go there. But we know one thing the power is profound. And this is what we're celebrating, everybody's saying. This is what happens Tuesday night. When we learn Torah, we give our, of ourselves, we push ourselves to be there throughout the night. It's a big thing. Learning Torah throughout the night, you've got to push yourself. It's not easy staying awake. But when we do that, that's where we're becoming. We're, we're emulating that midbar, that mentality of it's not about me, it's not about what I want, my sleep, my this, my that. I'm giving myself over to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I'm ready to commit myself to a greater cause. I'm ready to learn with somebody. Because who knows what my patience and my commitment to learn Torah with a young man could bring my whole generation to Olam Abba. How do, you, how do you figure that? Your whole generation goes on your coattails to Olam Abba? Why are you here? You know, I'm here because we've prayed that brought me here. That was my ticket. Sometimes you go, to a, you go to a place and you say, what are you doing here? You weren't invited. Well, no, I'm, I'm his friend. Oh, you're his friend? Okay, come on in. Yeah, so we, we somehow we can, we can get in. We can get in through the back door sometimes. But I say, let's understand what we have in terms of this gift of Torah and how we have to really utilize it. We utilize it by having the midos, the humility, the sensitivity to be able to share properly, to be able to learn it properly. That's Chos Bez Hashem. We'll have an Emes Kabbalah Torah. Wonderful summer. Zohar, the Be'ez of Shechem, here